for the feast of Passover. Jesus knew that his hour had come to pass from this world to the Father. He loved his own in the world, and he loved them to the end. The devil had already induced Judas, son of Simon, the scariest, to hand them over. So during the supper, fully aware that the Father had put everything into his own power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, he rose from supper and took off his outer garment. He took a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with a towel around his waist. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Master, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What am I doing? You do not understand now, but you will understand later. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, Unless you, I wash you, you will have no inheritance with me. Simon Peter said to him, Master, then not only my feet, but my hands and head as well. Jesus said to him, Whoever has bathed has no need except to have his feet washed, for he is clean all over. So you are clean, but not all. For he knew he would betray him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and put his garments back on and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you realize what I have done for you? You call me teacher and master. And rightly so, for indeed I am. If I, therefore the master and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you a model to follow, so that as I have done for you, you should also do the gospel of the knew that his hour had come to pass from this world to the Father. This hour is indeed a dark one, really, when we reflect on scripture and the liturgy. Last time, we gathered at night, it was more festive, for the Lord was born to us. But now, we reflect on the real reason that Christ is born. He knows the grief and the burden, the fear that is in the heart of the disciples. And he tells them many things. In fact, the Dominican custom, late at tonight, after we spent time in the garden, or spent time visiting other gardens, we will go and read the last discourse of Christ, do a long speech in the Gospel of John and the prayer to his Father that the Lord states in front of his disciples at the Last Supper. 
And he says, I have told you these things so that you will not fall away. In fact, the hour is coming when everyone who kills you will think that he is offering worship to God. I have told you this so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you. And then more clearly, speaking of, you know, of them that night, not only Judas, but all of them, he will say, Behold, the hour is coming and has arrived, when each one of you will be scattered to his own home and will leave me alone. This is the historical reality that we read in the Gospels about the Apostles. We know it's a very present reality. For when we encounter the Lord's suffering, or when we suffer ourselves, we too leave the Lord alone. The last thing he says after going in the garden, he sees, after he encourages his apostles to stay awake, and then chides them, that could you not stay awake even one hour? Then he looks up and sees. And he sees in, in the darkness of that night, for we know it's night, in the Gospel of John, remember when Judas eats of the morsel, eats of the morsel the Lord hands him, he goes out and the Lord says, do what you must do quickly. And John, without wasting, ever wasting any words, every word that the Gospel of John lays down is important. And he says, it was night. It was night time, but it was night in the heart of Judas was night of all creation of all time. Night. That is the hour. The Lord lifts up and he sees you know, through the night these lights. They're torches and they're lanterns. And you know, torches and lanterns in the night, they pierce the light more than making it beautiful at times. They blind sometimes rather than make one see. And even when it does illumine, the faces are distorted and angry and so these are the lights that come. They come with lanterns and torches, swords and clubs to find the Lord. And the Lord says, Behold, the hour is at hand when the Son of Man is to be handed over to sinners. He himself knows this too. He doesn't just say these things, but he feels it in his own heart. For he has said, and, and the observing after, of course, the apostles whose grief in their heart he himself, we read in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, My soul is sorrowful even unto death. Remain here and keep watch. But they don't. No more than we have the strength to do ourselves. Indeed, in this night, we recall then that passion, the sorrow, the anguish of the Lord. His anguish in the garden. His anguish for us. His anguish over what must occur. What must he do? Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Yet, it doesn't. We enter into the sorrow of the Lord, and in his doing so, in his taking up his cross and enduring his passion, he enters into our sorrow. This is his kingship. The apostles had hoped and imagine a very different kingship, a rulership in which the Lord would bring about the triumph of Israel, 
as was foretold. The Lord proceeds on no throne, takes on no crown. Rather, even at the Last Supper, he already shows the signs of his kingship, where he kneels down and washes the feet of his disciples, where he breaks himself and gives his own body and blood as food. He goes to the cross, all willingly. And he does these things not as some sort of play, or simply that we can say he's done it for us. But those words, stay awake and watch with me. Not only to pray in this evening, but to stay awake always and watch where the Lord suffers. Where the Lord suffers in his cross, in his passion. We remember the Lord has come to suffer with us. When he goes down on his hands and knees, bent over as a slave to wash the feet of his disciples, he brings kinship to all those who are burdened. Those who are burdened with the loss of a child, those who are addicted to drugs, those who have a terminal illness, those who bend down to care for their elderly or their child, those who work and labor. He brings dignity, the kingship, to all who would suffer and would labor. This is his victory. And perhaps like Judas, this was not the victory we hoped for. The Gospels we really read it. We want to see with different eyes. But it's sad and it's dark this evening, as it will be tomorrow when the Lord dies on the cross. Again, in a midst of the darkness that should have been day, Earthquake, darkness of the sky, sadness, and death. We encounter this in our own lives, of course. For the Lord, again, doesn't just act it out for our edification. He endures these things in part to give meaning to our own suffering, to bring life where there is darkness. Last year, I mentioned that we had a conversation at our gathering before the Mass, at our dinner, what is one's favorite part of the priesthood. Last year I didn't answer at the time, and I only answered here in the homily. And I stated that my, one of my favorite things is to be the porter, because the person opens the door, opens the door in the liturgy, or in our prayers, our intercession to the divine, and usher people in, hoping that I'm worthy to enter that door too. Another part that I would say is a favorite part of my own priesthood is, in fact, the helplessness. You think you're a day, you can do many things and give great homilies or great advice, sing really well, help people, give them hope and courage. Sometimes that happens. And a lot of times it doesn't. And it's then that you see when there's nothing, and all you've got is darkness, there is the light of Christ, and he comes. I recall one time in Anchorage, I only told this story one other time. It was for a, a mass for women who've lost their children. My first assignment was in Anchorage 
Alaska. And I got called to the hospital, and I visited this couple before in the hospital. It was their, I think it was their third miscarriage. So I go, and there it is. She's, she's laying on this bed or gurney, weeping, crying. And I go in, and she holds my hand. Well, really, she's got this death grip on my hand. And I know, well, I hope, that's because I bring the sign of God's light. But I also know, because she's squeezing and asking God, why? Why has this happened? That's what the apostles were too, right? Why has this happened? And many of us have been there. Why has this happened? Why did my son die? Why am I so sick? Why did I lose my job? Why? We're helpless. And they come to us and they ask us why. I don't know. What are we going to say? Because it's God's will? I don't know why. I don't know why God allows that. So here's this. I have no words. I don't remember. I said like I said a prayer. What could I say? I was there. And I walked with them in that sorrow. That was it. A few weeks later, we had a funeral, because you can have a funeral for a child, even though it's not baptized. We had a funeral service, praying and hoping that God's mercy and trust, entrusting the tiny soul to the Lord. And we went out to the cemetery, and it was dark. It was must have been fall or spring, because it was raining in Anchorage, and everything was really muddy. So we're out there, and the bottom of my habit is all dirty from the mud, and just you can hear it, and we're sopping in the mud, and it's raining down, and we're all wet. It didn't take us but a minute to get you soaking wet. So I said the prayer, I was covering the book, maybe, I don't know if it was an umbrella or what, we're trying to cover the book and do our best, because the water's coming sideways, right? And when I finish the prayers, she kneels down, and she puts the tiny box, the tiny hole, and begins with her own hands, to fill the dirt, to fill it in. And then she rolls the tiny stones across the mouth of this tiny tomb. There's nothing to say. No hope in that. It's there. But this is precisely why the Lord endures this suffering and his passion. That we know not only he did this for us, but he accomplished this work and this great victory within us. It's only there that we can finally find what his role is as savior of the world, as my Messiah, as your Messiah, as true God that loves us with the deepest compassion. If we did everything perfectly and well and everything always went well, you know your heart, I know mine. I would thank God for making me such a great person and not thank the Lord for the gift of his compassion and mercy. A few years later, I was visiting Anchorage. They had moved away, and I had moved away. And it was springtime, as I recall, right? It was sunny anyway. It was bright, and it can be very beautiful when it's sunny, whether it's snowing or summer. Very beautiful. And she came home. She called out my name. She came running to me, talking, talking. Now, where are you move? How's, how's, how's uh, Portland, where I was living at the time? And then she said to me, I want you to meet someone. I want you to meet my daughter. The fruit of your prayers. I'm not sure. 
that she was the fruit of my prayers. But I did see God bring life and light, resurrection and hope to that couple's lives. This is what the Lord is going to accomplish for us during the sacred trigger. That great hope. There's a transformation that occurs here. That we have come to this hour. The Lord reminds us that he has come for this hour after he speaks about the hour of Satan, the hour of the dark one, the hour of betrayal. He changes his tone at one point and says that this is my hour. Oh, Father, glorify me in this hour. For I have come then to save the world. In our prayers today, we see this transformation. We come here and remember the Last Supper of Christ, his institution, the priesthood in the Eucharist, his going out to suffer. We also remember what he begins to accomplish. Can we talk about the Paschal Mysteries? Really, it's his ark. It's this beautiful ark from, from the Last Supper to the cross, to the tomb, to the ascension of heaven, and sending out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. In the final prayer, it is very short of our Mass today, before our procession into the garden. It says, Grant, Almighty God, that just as we are renewed by the supper of your Son in this present age, we may enjoy that banquet for all eternity. We receive, we become the body of Christ, and this reward renewal is, is profound, is a restructuring, is a remaking, really. So the real language, the real Latin means behind that. Remaking. And we are remade in Christ. This is why he was born for us. This is why he takes us to be remade and that we might be remade in his image. And as we and our first parents chose sin and death, so it is then when he takes on sin and death, though he is divine and conquers it, he remakes us as we were in the beginning and even greater than we were at that time, that we might enter in to this mystery of his salvation, not through our expectations, not through our work, not through what we hope for, not because we're good, but because he is good and has made us good and made us holy. He encourages his disciples, not only during the course of these days, but always, words that echo throughout time, do not let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God, have faith also in me. Or he'll tell Pilate, my kingdom does not belong to this world. If it did belong to this world, my attendants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over, but my kingdom is not here. Let us hear then the words of Jesus at the Last Supper again. Let us then watch the actions of the Lord unfold as he washed the feet of the disciples. What is he saying? Lay everything down. Lay your hopes and expectations. Lay your pride and your sin. Lay your, your uh, self-confidence and, 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 and the idea of doing things alone, lay it down before me. And I will sanctify and make you strong with my strength. Have absolute trust and attachment to me. Trust me. Though the war, Lord gives voice to our struggles at the cross when he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? In his actions, he's telling us that the Father is not. And he tells us that you have trusted the Father, so trust me. 
How many times have we looked up in frustration or in anguish or in sadness or in loneliness with tears in our eyes of darkness and doubt as this passed across our soul? And yet the Lord, how often has he intervened and brought us hope and salvation, light, even if it wasn't what he expected? He, in his anguish, in his agony, there brings us hope. It is sad when he's at the Last Supper and he's saying these things to the disciples. We can imagine them embracing one another and someone would get the sense this might be goodbye. Saying goodbye, or so often as sometimes I know some of us do. There's a difficult situation, you know what, I'm just going to make an Irish goodbye. Maybe go out the side door. Got to ignore the situation, but then we find ourselves alone anyway. And yet the Lord says, For a little while you'll not see me. But for a little while you will. Just as that mother did of that child, so it is. The, the apostles will hear a voice. The voice in Easter morning of Mary Magdalene saying, I have something to tell you. I have something to tell you. And that whole experience that the apostles underwent in those brief three days and that we undergo now bring a profound meaning to our life and a meaning to our faith. For we see in this night and this darkness and this hour is the hour of the Lord. The hour where he conquers. He conquers Satan, sin, and death conquers our hopelessness. He conquers our helplessness. And he brings us life, light, and hope in him. So let us then not fear this hour, but rejoice in it. For when it is darkest, that is the hour of the Lord. And he's going to change, as we will see from this evening, and we'll see on Saturday evening, he will change the night into the day. He will transform darkness 